Welcome to the Austin Forum Upload, where we explore pervasive and emerging technologies and their influence and impact on society. In this series, we upload direct to you information, opinions, and insights from thought leaders, experts, and creatives from Austin and beyond. They'll share their perspectives through conversations, interviews, debates, discussion, and more. I'm Jay. I'm John. And I'm Huli. And we co-produce the upload for the Austin Forum on Technology and Society. Our topic today is augmented reality, or AR, and our special guest today is Frank Rowan, the CEO of HookBang and a longtime technology professional here in Austin, Texas. Welcome, Frank. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So, Frank, tell us a little bit about yourself and your company and what you guys are doing in the augmented reality space. So I've been in the game industry uh, originally for about 25, 26 years. Um, From there, went into a lot of military contracting and most recently started HookBang. A few years ago, Google, uh, one of the research arms of Google contacted us and asked us to do a lot of augmented reality research for uh, mobile. So we spent about 18 months, had about 16 plus people researching that area. And from there, we ended up, that kind of wagging the dog for us, and that ended up uh, having us focus on augmented reality. And so we have, we, we do a lot of other things besides augmented reality, but that has become one of our core competencies. Great. Well, Virtual reality, or VR, has been getting a lot of hype lately with the movie Ready Player One and the recent release of the Oculus Go at sort of consumer-friendly prices. But tell us about AR, augmented reality, and tell us how it's different from VR. So VR is 100% virtual. You control the scene. Everything everything is synthetic. It's basically taking a a classic video game, but it's making it so it's um, head-mounted. Where augmented reality differs is that augmented reality is actually using a live camera feed and it's injecting objects into that particular scene. A lot of times the goal is to make it seamless and other times it's, it's, it's obviously aware it's computer generated, but it's figuring out how to inject it um, three-dimensionally. Okay, so unlike VR, augmented reality is injecting some synthetic information onto a real-world view, a video feed or a camera view. Can you give some examples of that people might be familiar with of augmented reality? I think you know the um, best example is probably uh, green screening that they use in Hollywood, and then um, the real-time green screening they do right now in sporting events. So, like the the um, first down goal line, um, the strike zone in baseball, uh, NHL. You know, they did the the uh, the puck following technology, which apparently has been removed because people didn't like that. But um, <clears throat> so we, we have had forms of augmented reality around for a long time. Uh, commercially, probably the most popular uh, example of it right now is Pokemon Go, which is a location-based uh, mobile game that uses augmented reality for um, finding creatures. The, the problem with augmented reality on the consumer level is that for the most part, it's a bit of a novelty, right? Augmented reality is sort of this thin patina on the technology where it's just a rendering representation method. And so, for example, at Pokemon Go, um, they're just drawing Pikachu in a particular scene. A lot of people turn it off because of the uh, battery drain and the um, and how hot your phone gets. And I think that's been successful mostly because of the branding. I mean, there's been a lot of other attempts at augmented reality, and a lot of people will download it and play it and go, "Hey, that's kind of cool. All right, I'm going to turn it off, or gonna, they switch the VR mode of it, or the um, just a normal 2D mode of it." Yeah, I, I confess, I'm probably I fall into that camp. I I certainly was fascinated by it from hearing about it from my daughter and friends. I tried to play it for a couple of weeks, and then within two weeks, I was playing it only maybe once a week or twice a week. And then within two more weeks, I really wasn't playing it at all. 
But but I expected the impact to be greater because I know that there were people around the world playing it. In fact, one person traveled around the world to catch all of the creatures in the game. And I thought, surely this will be the thing that makes AR successful in other games. Well, Why has that not happened? Well, look what you're referencing to. I mean, you're referencing the geolocation aspect of the game. And I think that's what was most compelling about it, is that you, it was geolocated materials. You had to go to particular sites to catch the information. So it kind of made sense with that particular theme to inject objects into the scene that you're traveling to go to. But that's why a lot of people turned it off, because it was more about going somewhere and having to search that physical feeling of the adventure of searching more than if was Pikachu sitting on, you know, the park bench in front of you versus a virtual park bench. And that was the thing, like the, the actual augmented reality of it was more of a novelty. It was more, I think, the geolocated stuff. But look, but it is paving the way. But again, like what we referenced earlier, on the Google project, they gave us all, everyone a, a, a gag um, gift, which was an oven mitt and a um, battery recharger because augmented reality, just your phone gets literally gets overly hot and drains the battery. When we did demos, we always had a second set of phones charging, and every 20 minutes, we would swap the phones out. And sometimes they got so hot, you had to put them down. But that is indicative of this technology. So it's doing a lot, of, a lot of processing. So for example, when you're doing augmented reality, the easiest part is rendering Pikachu. The hardest part is trying to figure out where to render Pikachu. And because you have to do a lot of a scene analysis, you have a lot of where to render it realistic. Realistic, yeah. yeah. You know, if, for example, there's no scene awareness, if, if you move a tree goes in front of it, somebody walks in front of it, it doesn't include the scene, it pops through. And so you get this sort of uncanny valley very quickly where it just, yeah, the I've, fiction I've totally breaks. Yeah. And so to be able to, for example, at Google, they were doing a Tango project, which was, it had all these sensors on it, and it would totally scan the room and tessellate the entire thing so you knew where everything was, it did all the surface detection and everything else. It just was such a battery hog, and, and we have a whole bunch of Tango phones at the office. They're huge. They look like many iPads. And they've actually discontinued that line because of how unwieldy the technology is. So what happened was both Google and Apple um, put a lot of effort and money into researching augmented reality, um, just with, with uh, monocular cameras, with single cameras. And so the problem why most third parties couldn't do this is because it took a lot of calibration and the hardware to be able to get it right, because you're, you're faking in software depth, uh, depth perception, right? They're using odometry, basically how far the phone travels just with, with minor vibrations, where it's picking a pixel, and through the minor vibrations, it has a point A and a point B and a point C, which is the point you're looking at. It triangulates off of that. But if you don't have that odometry down, that how far that phone has traveled in that vibration, then you're going to have a 30-plus percent error rate. Since they've calibrated it, we've gotten it down into single digits, and that's what's making it possible. That's why we can do this kind of realistic surface detection. That's why things aren't skating as much. But until we get biocular cameras in the phones and where the battery can support biocular cameras, then it's still kind of be, there's still kind of that error right in there. So you've talked a lot about the technology limitations of current smartphones in terms of power and heating as AR interfaces or devices. But it seems to me that the smartphone is also a user interface limitation as well. I've never really been tempted to walk around and hold a small screen up in front of my eyes to get an augmented view of the real world. I, I still remember when Tim Cook said Apple was going to invest more in augmented reality than virtual reality and being surprised by that because I really didn't want to hold my several hundred dollar iPhone up in front of me and risk dropping it all for a slightly augmented view of what I could see with my own eyes. Can you, can you talk about user interfaces? You know, and that's a really good point. At, on the Google project, one of the, uh, when we were working on designing it, one of the first questions was, well, what is the user, is the user interface? 
For example, if we're doing a product for it, how long can someone hold up their phone? What's the fatigue level? And if you're looking at a particular desktop, for example, um, what is the field of view? I mean, if you're like two feet away from the table, you know, your field of view might be a foot or so on the tabletop. To get an actual um, useful field of view that you can work with, you have to step back three or four or five feet from the tabletop. And then, you know, it's, it's pointless. You're not sort of sitting around in a kind of comfortable type of setting. Um, they even went as far as bought a robotic arm that would kind of start testing degrees of the degrees of motion over a surface top to see where the failure rate was when you started getting a skewed perspective for in terms of detection. And we and what we've been finding with augmented reality is that it's this new quote cutting edge technology. I mean not necessarily that new, but new for consumers. And so there's a bit of a novelty there. Because of that novelty, people were kind of using it as sort of that, oh, I've got one really cool new hammer, so now I'm trying to figure out what's a nail and what's not. And so I think there's a lot of usage right now of augmented reality that doesn't make consumer sense except for the novelty of it. And so I think it's really important that when you look at your overall toolbox to realize when does it make sense to use augmented reality versus when does it make sense to do a 2D overlay. It could be a 2D overlay over a live scene, but it does not necessarily need to be injected into that particular scene. So yeah, I think you're right. Like there's a lot of times when why would you need to project that particular piece of information into a real world, go through all that processing power when you could just have it pop up 2D on text on your phone? Maybe you can just look down at it. And so that's what we're kind of working through is, okay, we're getting through the novelty, we're getting through the hype, and now we're trying to figure out what is the real kernel, you know, the real nugget of augmented reality. So most of what you focused on is projecting information onto a real world camera view. Yeah. So why do that with a, a phone? Why not do that with glasses? And and I also, you know, we all know about Google Glasses, and that was a spectacular failure. But why did that fail? Well, so two parts in that question. So one on the phone, why are you using a phone? Because phones are more ubiquitous right now. Everyone has a, uh, almost everyone has a mobile phone. So that was a really good platform for, in terms of adoption. That was a really good platform for experimentation. Definitely agree that glasses are the way to go. But right now, for example, with Google Glasses, it was a little bit unsightly at the time. You know, there's a whole um, glass hole issue where people, you know, being found to recording and things like that. People didn't like intrusiveness of that. I think that's one of the major reasons is that it became socially unacceptable. I think the te technology was really cool, but it just became a stigma to be wearing um, uh, Google Glasses. And Google Glass actually quietly did a, did a relaunch of it, uh, their version 2.0, all on enterprise. And so Google Glass is being used in a lot of factories uh um, and they're finding that there's, you know, significant improvement in terms of functionality. But still with that, though, it's not injecting. It's not the kind of augmented reality, the true augmented reality we're talking about. It's using a 2D overlay. So it's basically moving your laptop screen or of a PDF over one eye. And so it's kind of step having you uh, be able to kind of read and step through particular instructions of what you're doing, what the activity is in front of you. It's not scene aware. It's not detecting it that I'm aware of. There are truer augmented reality glasses, I think. Um, Magic Leap, for example, HoloLens, things like that. You know, they're kind of bulky, and I don't know what the enterprise implementation is right now, but they're definitely going there, where it's seamlessly inter uh, injecting uh, augmented reality information into the scene. So, I mean, yeah, I think it's, what's really good is that it's all very promising, and it's all so nascent. You know, for example, the first time that VR came out, I remember VR came out in 92, 93, and because of the latency and because of the, the issues with tracking, everyone could see it was cool, but it just went nowhere. And now with Oculus, you know, when that first came up, then it suddenly had a resurgence. But had we not had that original impetus to 10 years earlier, I mean, you know, that was one of the things that kicked it off because it kept it in, in the back of people's minds. Okay. So let's talk about what some applications of AR might be. You've, you've said that in the consumer space, 
there hasn't really been a big hit since Pokemon, and you talked about some of the limitations there, and we're waiting for sort of that next consumer thing that's beyond a novelty. Yeah. That, that really, then you talk, but you talked about in the enterprise space that there are some applications, and that Google Glass even quietly relaunched in that space, and there are some applications in enterprise. What about in things like like in mobility, like can AR help us be safer when we're operating cars or trains or planes in bad weather by augmenting a a suboptimal view with information that gives you what you need to navigate, for example. Yeah, it was interesting. So we, we rolled off of this Google project and, you know, our heads are all high, man, because we work for Google, you know, we're the shit, we know what's going on. And so we go off and we go, and so we hired a biz dev guy, and we're like, we're going to sell um, augmented reality. And we go, what's the product? And we couldn't think of a product. It's like, how the hell do we sell this? How do we add value to particular things? And we went down so many different verticals. And I think one of the verticals that really, the first vertical after eight months of trying to do that, that resonated with us was what we were calling assisted reality, which was assisting people by injecting information into the particular scene in a way that it was easy for the brain to understand. So for example, one of the demos we have is you walk up to a server rack with a router uh, embedded in it. And it'll tell you, hey, go over here and turn on the power button. And then it, it, it's, it puts a button in the scene or an arrow in the scene where the power button is. And then because of machine vision, machine learning, it detects, oh, you turn on the button. Cool. Next step. Now I want you to insert, you know, this blue cable in the port four. And it injects into the scene a, a realistic rendering of the blue cable and showing you where it goes. If you put the, you know, the wrong cable into the wrong, if you put a cable into the wrong port, it can detect that and say, nope, that's the wrong port. Or even put a cable in the correct port, but it's the wrong color. It can detect that too. And so I found that was really compelling because it could be a 20, 30 step kind of process and it could walk you through that. So it's this virtual system. Another um, thing we found there is, is so error detection. So maybe you've been doing this forever. And you just sort of, in your haste or speed, you you insert something or uh, in the wrong port, or you turn on something the wrong way, what have you. It can detect, hey, hey, slow down there. You did something wrong, and probably can help recover there a lot as well. And so I found, wow, that was the first time that it really was, because really at the end of the day, when your business it comes down to how do we get value out of this, and value comes down to dollars saved. And so if you're making people more efficient, if you're making training a lot easier, a lot more accessible, things like that, we found a lot of value there. The other area is sort of in the safety, what you're talking about. Yeah, and exactly. If, if sort of there is a um, something of vision inhibited, so maybe you're driving a, in a snowstorm or in fog or what have you, if you sort of can, can superimpose the actual uh, lines of the lane you're in or sort of superimpose an uh, image of a deer out there you wouldn't normally see because of a storm or for some other reason that's including your vision, I see definitely there's something compelling there as well. But again, I think, it, I think it's important to figure out where does it really make sense because people... People, I'm, what I worry about is people are going to get tired of augmented reality of going, it's just a novelty and dismiss it overall. And I think we really need to make sure that we apply augmented reality where it makes sense. Because a lot of times when we have customers come to us and say they want to do augmented reality, we, the first thing we say is why? And then why waste your money in that? Why don't we do this as a 2D type of application and then save, the, uh, save that tool for something when it makes more sense? You've brought up a couple of really good points. And one of them was the overlay to what you see. And we all know that in, in, unless you're visually impaired, the sense that you get the most information processed through is, is vision. Yeah. And yet you can only see what's in your field of view. And so we've all seen, you know, movies like Predator. The Predator got extra information about his target on, on the screen. Is that augmented reality to do that overlay of additional information that enhances what you're able to visually process with additional readable information about what you're seeing? 
I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know who's in charge of the official definition of augmented reality. Let's say it's you. But exactly. As a company who says we're experts in augmented reality, we've definitely expanded the definition of augmented reality <laughs> to sort of be more encompassing for us. And so the way we look at augmented reality is it's, it's really just sensor injection and displaying of that particular sensor information. So it can be 2D, it can be 3D, it can be audio, it can be tactile. It's just whatever it takes to augment reality, right? And sort of that's kind of, we, we try to go very literal in there because we want people to get away from thinking it's only injecting 3D objects perspectively correct in a particular scene. I, I agree with that definition completely. Yeah. If it's augmenting reality, if it's augmenting the visual reality you see with additional information that, yeah. that you get other than what you're, you're seeing, uh, some additional information about what you're seeing, to me, that's augmented reality. Let me ask you about a different use case. Sometimes I'm walking around downtown and I don't want to hold up my phone and look at things to get more information about that art installation or that monument or that building, but I have my AirPods in. And I'd love to be able to cut on uh, an application that tells me about some of the landmarks that I'm passing. I don't want it on all the time, but there might be times when I'm walking by historical landmarks or art installations or parks or civic buildings. To me, that would be augmented reality. In your opening definition, you said it was about a camera view and presenting some visual information. But could we call it augmented reality if your ear pods were giving you additional information about what it knows you must be seeing because it knows where you are and where you're headed and therefore what must be in your field of view. Yeah, I mean, I you know, again, how loosely we want to have that definition. I mean, if it's, is it augmenting reality by giving you extra information or would it be better if, it, you know, if it's adding bird chirps or something or making the reality, uh, giving a bigger dynamic to reality versus something that's obviously uh, third person. It's interesting at Google I.O. they were talking about um, how, you know, there's GPS right now for, 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 for figuring out your location, geolocation. But they're starting to do now what they're calling uh, VPS, which is visual um positioning system where Google has so much information that it knows roughly, you know, down to 10, 15 meters where you are based on GPS. Then based on the camera feed, it can look at all the buildings around you and position you much more accurately that way. Because that's a difficulty too, is the odometry on your phone um, of figuring out where you are. Like you, if you're like, you know, 20 feet past that particular uh, sculpture art piece. And the other thing too, it's like, it's really cool and useful when you want it and super annoying when you don't want it. And so then there's all that kind of things we're trying to we're trying to balance as well. So let's get back to these headsets for a second. So Google Glasses was largely a consumer fail, but has had some success in enterprise. Yeah. I have a hypothesis that one of these companies is going to figure out how to make glasses that are stylish enough and attractive enough and have enough capability that they will succeed. I mean, Apple was mocked for doing it with the Apple watch at yeah. first and saying, oh, it looks like a something only a geek could love. And now I see Apple watches everywhere. Yeah, yeah. The AirPods were mocked for looking stupid. Now you see them everywhere and you never see those reviews anymore. Now you just see glowing reviews of them. I, I admit the eyes, you know, if they're the window to the soul, it is where we tend to focus on looking at people. So it's where you have to be the most stylish or the least anti-stylish if you put a technology device on it and, and don't want to look silly. But yeah. do you see a time coming when Apple or Google oh, 100%. or yeah, stylish glasses that you can't really distinguish from fashion glasses and yet give you this information? I mean, the AirPods look ridiculous. 
And but Apple's so good at user experience that I love my AirPods, right? For ever for, yeah, for me the longest too. time. I, I love them. And the cool thing about the AirPods is that even though they look stupid, that um because everyone knows it's Apple, so you get this pass. I'm glad Apple's not sponsoring this podcast, by the way. But no, going. I'm supportive of the AirPods. <laughs> I mean, because they have to have that extended body to the thing for because of the Bluetooth aspect of it. But I think you get a pass because people, oh, it's sort of an accessory type right now. And I, I now I, 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 for me, for me, it was always like, what's the difference between wired versus wireless headphones? I didn't really see the difference, but now I love the AirPods. And so I think what's going to happen. The watch, for example, the, when Apple Watch came out, all it was was, ext- was a screen extension of your phone. It really didn't do anything except, you know, kind of make it so you don't have to pull your phone out of your pocket. And I think Apple will do the same thing with glasses. They're going to come with a pair of glasses. That's an extension of your phone. It's going to overlay some information. It'll probably, um, you know, lim- very limited in features at first. But as it catches on, they're going to iterate and iterate and iterate. And it's what's going to make it better. How far- the biggest problem we have, though, the, so the big thing we keep running into, sorry to interrupt, the biggest thing we kept running into is power. All these things, like the problem is if you add an extra camera, if you add anything you add to that thing, that it, that's especially that's um, a constant on sensor, drains the power like crazy. And so that was the battle we had all the time with augmented reality and, and um, all these devices. So how far do you think we are from a company like an Apple or Microsoft or Google from getting enough power for augmented reality, for useful augmented reality in and enough battery life into frames that won't look too silly and that a company like Apple will be able to convince people doesn't look silly at all. Well, look at the Intel uh, glasses they came out with. Those things, those things look really stylish. It had, you know, a really low-powered laser that was reflected to the back of your retina, which sounds scary. But they said that they've done all sorts of testing, you know, like the you know, classic, oh, don't worry, it's, it's perfectly harmless until we figure out it's harmful. But they seem to have been able to pull it off. I don't know what the battery life on that is, but it's it's a few hours. I mean, I remember when I first got the iPhone, it, I always wanted to have my MP3 player separate from my phone when I got the version 1 because I'm like, I don't want to drain the battery of my phone. And now um, it's like you charge your phone every night. I remember the old time when I had the Razer flip phone, it was like once every two or three or four days you charge your phone and it was totally independent. So I think it's sort of a training thing. And I think now that we have inductive power, it's inductive power pads that are trying to make standard. You probably get to a point where you take off your glasses, just, just lay them down in your desk, which happens to be a charging station. We probably won't even notice that we have to plug the thing in all the time. Again, if there is a demonstrable value to the product, we'll figure out a way of using it. I mean, for now, all of this is like, I remember, so I started a, um, I was a co-founder of, of, a, of a wireless software company in 2000. And we made our head office in Iceland. Because Iceland had 250,000 people and three phone companies. So they had one of the fastest adoption rates of wireless technology. And I came back to the U.S. and talked about this new thing called texting. And my friends like, why would you ever want to text someone? Why? I literally got that, that, that comment. Why would you want to text someone when you could just call them? I go, well, what if I just want to say, hey, what's up? What's for, what are you doing for dinner? And I want to get a long conversation. And people just couldn't grok that. You know, it was confusing to them. So I, I think that, but when it caught on, it caught on like wildfire. And now, I mean, I don't even answer my phone anymore. If you don't text me, I, we're not going to communicate because I don't have time to go into a conversation. So I think that's what's going to happen with the glasses and everything else. Something's going to happen where we're going to go, wow, all right, that just made my life easier. And so I think, you know, I, th- I don't know if we asked this question or not, but the greatest thing we're finding, like when we talked about assisted reality and that virtual mentor type of stuff, um, when we talked about the, the virtual mentors kind of stuff, what... Really, we started realizing is this is the first time that there's been frictionless access to the hive mind. 
So like if there's something we want to talk about in the room, I got to like, you know, this microphone. Oh, this is a cool microphone. What is it? I got to Google it, you know, silver microphone or podcast microphone and take five or 10 minutes and all this stuff comes up. But for example, with our assisted reality app, it's context and scene aware. So it, it analyzes the where, knows what we're looking at, and then starts offering information up and injecting that information into the scene. Because, hey, do you like this microphone? You know, would you like to buy it? Here's samples of it and things like that. I mean, it's probably a bad. So you're saying Amazon's going to be the first one to come out with these. We're, you, we're using it for teaching, so <laughs> and it makes and more and sense. And nod your head if you want to buy. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, I thought that was cool because what, if you're trying to learn something, you got to figure out, well, okay, what am I trying to learn on and Google it? We're here. It just it recognizes it and then offers information. And so it's suddenly now you have this hive mind where it's like, you're just sort of aware, like your machine is aware and sort of is giving you in a very, well, in the case we're using it, which is education and training, it's useful. Yeah, I guess in the advertising, like every time I see a, you know, a marker on the table, ask me if I want to buy it or not, I guess that would be annoying. But So we periodically hear announcements from these big players and we've referenced them in this conversation, Apple, Microsoft, Google, Intel. So what is the neatest thing that you've heard about them being up to lately what get, what gets you the most excited about any recent announcements from these companies is it intel's new glasses is it what apple announced in ar kit what, what are you excited about um you know i think yeah we're all looking for that holy grail of um having you know the light with lots of sensors and ability to, to actually um do real augmented reality to see. I mean, you look at Magic Leap just uh, had some new videos come out yesterday or two days ago about the new glasses, which to me, they look ridiculous. But um, man, have you seen the demos on there? Like someone's holding their, their hand in front of them and there's this pull-out tab on their hand and they, with the other hand, it's just aware of, of like the pinching and everything else with no sensors on their actual hands where they pull out the tab and then they kind of do this whole, they're, they're flipping down options A, B, and C and it seems like it's instant and, you know, very accurate. Um, the hand tracking and everything else. There was the injection of particular scenes in there. That looks fascinating. I don't know if I want to wear those goggles, but um, the fact that it's there and we can start experimenting with that, because I think as soon as we start seeing adoption, as soon as we find that killer app, it's, it'll get lighter. It'll get, you know, it'll get better and um, we'll solve it. So what am I most excited about? I think, you know, I think the videos of, Ma not the hardware that Magically came out with, but definitely the videos of technology that Magically came out with. And so then also, those videos will ins be inspirational to people developing yeah, I devices. I think they'll get down to devices. something that is reasonable, like from Mattel. And then the other thing that I think was really excited about was so Oculus Go came out, which is their completely wireless uh, virtual reality headset, and it's only got three degrees of freedom. You know, pitch roll and yaw, right? It has no positional. It only knows your angle of attack with your with your particular with your head, and not at the controllers either. Well, the controller I think has a pitch roll and yaw as well. But they're talking about their next generation version, which is Santa Cruz, which is going to have like this 110 degrees of freedom. It's going to have variable depth, which actually physically moves the lenses in front of you so you can kind of see near plane and far plane. Um, it's going to have six degrees of freedom on the head. It's going to have positional tracking. It's going to have – it's just – it was amazing. And then everything else they're coming out with. And so you can see this technology rapidly increasing. I mean we, we, you see you, the future is kind of rushing at us right now with what these announcements I, I see that in out. VR. I see yeah. it moving faster in VR. When do you think that the rate of uh, increase of performance and capability and adoption in AR is going to have that? I mean it's really just recent in VR. So do you yeah, think AR is trailing behind it by much? Or? It's trailing because we're dealing with reality. Right, and that was the thing. Like in, in the in, in the gaming space, you know, we mentioned this earlier. They're called the Uncanny Valley. When you're rendering scenes and characters, 
there's for you know there's a there's a point where you get it. It's it's virtual and you accept it's virtual. As soon as it starts becoming lifelike but not quite lifelike, then the entire thing breaks down and feels uncomfortable. So so with augmented reality, when virtual reality you control everything. And so it's a lot easier. In augmented reality, you've got to interface with the real world, and that's what makes it so hard. And I think that's why it has such adoption problems, because it just falls apart and there's so much information. So yeah, that's why it's taking longer, just because you know we have to do we have to, we have to be analyzing life, the world in real time, and understanding you know is this is this a uh, just a fog in front of us? Is it a hard surface? Is it a soft surface? Is it transparent? You know what is it? Is it occluding? And if, even if we analyze it, maybe it's something that's passing through. So then it walks away. You can't even just analyze the scene and then and then assume that's the way it is. So it's just so many. There's an infinite number of variables. I think you made some great points for our listeners about the challenges of the technology implementation and the interface and just the challenges in in having to deal with reality instead of like in VR where, as you said, you can create an entirely synthetic world in there. In AR, you're having to overlay things in a realistic way on real world imagery. So I want to conclude here with just a few takeaways. So what would you say is a reason people should be excited about AR? With these technology challenges ahead of us, why would you say they should be excited about the potential of it? We've been, you know, we've been contacted by um, computer manufacturing companies to do augmented reality for a lot of times of marketing. But we've been contacted by pharmaceutical companies who want to do, for example, they do medical devices for children and they know they're not going to read the manual. So they want to do an overlay augmented reality type of thing where it kind it's of It's not says, just the children that aren't going to read the manual. but Well, yeah, but I'm saying you know, for, <laughs> yeah. for that particular case, they know life it's life or death that they understand how to operate that piece of equipment. We've been contacted by consumer goods companies. And so if there's this been pickup about augmented reality, everyone sees the potential. Everyone sees how it is there is something there and there's definitely benefit there. So, I mean, so in aggregate, uh, all these companies are coming together and, and working to figure this out. So I think, as I was saying earlier, the sort of that seamless access to the hive mind and hive information, we're, we're it's going to change our lives and that um, it'll just, it'll just seamlessly without overloading our brain, um, giving us more access to information to be able to make better decisions, you know, to make safer decisions and better decisions and uh, more robust uh, information for our decisions. And you mentioned the enterprise side and companies several times, companies come and talk to you. How can companies take advantage of AR now? What are the tools and technologies and companies they should talk to in order to try to evaluate AR, whether it's right for their products and services, and take advantage of it now? So I think one of the benefits that I, I like to tell people when they, um, they come and ask us for advice is I'm, I'm a recovering software engineer myself. And so, um, you know, I have a very Vulcan brain and everything is driven by analytics and metrics to me. And so I hate doing products that are just a waste of time and money. Uh, Even if, you know, it might be a good deal for us. I don't like doing it because it doesn't add value. And so when we approach the the initial design phase of these particular projects, we do a lot of analysis to figure out where is the value and how do we measure that value. And so I think if you're a company and you you are um, focused on efficiency, I think you need to start exploring it now and start taking baby steps because when it hits, your competitor is going to be way ahead of you. So like analyzing in your process, you know, where, where would it help to have more information, injected information, and will a 5%, 10% increase in productivity be, you know, have a significant impact on your bottom line? If that's the case, then it makes sense to be exploring this right now because it might be, 
a little bit expensive and a little bit of a reinventing the wheel as you're exploring that particular area. But I think just getting your um, corporate processes and mindset around that and getting technology injected into an area which might not normally be used to using technology. For example, we talk a lot right now to oil and gas industry. And they're all into, they have so many practices and so many procedures, thousands of procedures. And they spend so much money on training. For example, if they can cut that training time in half and have like an assisted reality type of system where they go into the field, you know, maybe instead of training them for three or four or five months of particular pieces of equipment, train them for like one or two months. Because when they go in the field, the system will, will um, recognize the equipment they're working on and be able to prompt them along the way to tell them how to do the process. And because if they had initial training, they are aware of the processes in general, maybe not the specifics of the version of Rev 1 versus Rev C or what have you, or Rev 2. You know, I think there's a lot of benefit there. They don't have to, they don't have to redeploy, you know, another, you know, higher level technician, whatever the, the case is. So that's what we're really working on is finding these companies and figuring out how do we inject information into the system to make it more, um, to, to make it more efficient and more accurate. All right. And my final question before I ask for your final comments are how can people learn more? How can our listeners learn more about augmented reality? There aren't tons of classes in, in it in colleges. So how do they learn more? Um, you know, at Google and YouTube. That's how I learned about most of the augmented reality is is, uh, is um, Google and YouTube. You know, go up there and just start searching for augmented reality and you kind of go down that rabbit hole of like, oh, that's interesting. And you follow the link after link after link. And there's, it's just because there's the cool thing about augmented with um, AR Kit and AR Core, the two um, libraries that uh, both Google and Apple have, have made public is now there's a lot of experimentation going on with it. There's a lot of uh, indies just writing little test apps and things like that, coming up with really cool experiments. And so it's sort of that nascent um, um, newness of the industry where everyone's exploring it and coming up with some really cool applications of it that um, is um, sort of having this domino effect in other people's imaginations where more and more is coming. So, Okay, so Frank, what are your final thoughts, insights, comments for our listeners? So our company's DNA was based on wanting to solve hard problems. Um, in uh, programmer speak, uh, question marks a hook and exclamation points a bang. And that's iconic of what we want to do is just have problems thrown at us and we forgot the elegant solutions. Um, and we are pouring a lot of money right now into our own R&D into augmented reality. And we wouldn't be doing that if we didn't think it was something. So it's because augmented reality is not just a rendering of 3D objects into a live video stream, but it's, it's so much more. It's machine vision. It's machine learning. It's artificial intelligence. And I think that tech stack is so deep that it has applications across the board. And so I think that's why augmented reality is important to us because it represents basically the future of computing in general. Thank you very much. This is Frank Rowan, CEO and founder of Hookbang. I'm Jay Boisseau, the director of the Austin Forum. Thanks for being with us. And we hope you will check out future episodes of the Austin Forum Upload. Thanks for listening to the Austin Forum Upload. You can listen to additional episodes and check out a schedule of our monthly in-person events at austinforum.org. The Upload is a production of the Austin Forum on Technology and Society, a nonprofit organization here in Austin, Texas.